Welcome to Changing Reels, a bi-weekly podcast that celebrates diversity in cinema both in front of and behind the camera by revisiting overlooked and underappreciated films and exploring their pop culture significance. My name is Courtney Small. And I'm Andrew Hathaway. Our show is hosted by the fine folks at ModernSuperior.com. Uh, we highly recommend you go to that website and discover a slew of great podcasts that they have on there, such as the returning show, uh, Let's Scare Matthew Price to Death, which I believe will be returning for its second season in the coming weeks. Also, uh, Modern Superior has a Patreon page, so for as little as $2 a month, which is cheaper than a cup of coffee at Starbucks, you can get access to their various Patreon perks. But lastly, you can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, hopefully wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd really love if you could go on iTunes and give us a rating, because all feedback is good feedback, and it also helps our show and our discussions on diversity and pop culture reach a broader audience. Andrew, how are you doing today? I've been pretty good. I'm keeping really busy over at Can't Stop the Movies. It was an okay week for movies. Still working through some 2016 stuff. And as a result of our discussion with Kristen last time, who was a phenomenal guest, by the way, we hope to have her on again soon. I reviewed Me Before You, and it was every bit as awful as she had kind of prepped me for. Lots of, hey, maybe suicide is okay media out there lately, which is a little disconcerting. But yeah, so some decent stuff, nothing really out of the ordinary in terms of good or badness, other than the aforementioned Me Before You. And plugging along. How about yourself? been good i spent most of the last week and a half or so revisiting errol morse documentaries because i was recently on episode of frameline because errol morse's new film the b-sides elsa dorfman's portrait photographies just got released here so we were discussing that film i decided to just kind of revisit errol morse's canon and catch up on the two of his films that i hadn't seen so i've just been in like documentary zone for a period so it's kind of good to get back to some fictional storytelling (laughs) which two hadn't you seen so far uh i hadn't seen mr death and a brief history of time brief history of time is all right it doesn't have his trademark weirdness. Mr. Death more than makes up for the lack of Errol Morris's trademark weirdness, or at least how stories take a turn, than A Brief History of Time did. I like them both, but I, I think I liked A Brief History of Time more because it's not as strange as some of the other ones in terms of this subject, because you're talking about Stephen Hawking's, but the use of the camera in that film is really fascinating. How he just plays with and focuses on certain things, like instead of just having the camera planted on Hawking's face, there's times where he's just focusing on like the left wheel of the chair. There's a lot of just stylistic things about that film that I really enjoyed. And also for Stephen Hawking's, a figure who we all know fairly well, I still found myself going, oh, that was interesting. I didn't know that aspect of his life. And either way, it was way better than a theory of everything. <laughs> so. you, you've set a mighty low bar for, <laughs> for a brief history of time to clear, but, but it does clear it admirably. I mean, I, I own a brief history. It is, I don't know, maybe... Vernon, Florida, I think, is one of his shorter documentaries. That's probably my least favorite of his stuff that I've seen. Yeah, Um, I'd agree with you on that. But you really can't go wrong with Elro Morris no matter what. So we'll uh, have to include a link to your Frameline discussion podcast. Yeah, it was done on live radio, but the host, Barbara Gozlasli, she records every episode and then puts it up as a podcast as well. So we'll send out the link to the podcast in our show notes. Spectacular. Well, no new podcast stuff on this end other than the fun that we've got today, so shall we have at it? 
Yes, because oh, today is going to be an interesting day, people. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to switch things up. We're capping off our month of summer fun by doing two feature films today rather than our usual format of uh, discussing two short films and then a feature that hopefully ties into those two shorts. Don't worry. The short films will be coming back in the next episode. We just figured, you know, once in a while we like to, to mix it up and have a kind of loose fun episode for the first film that we're going to be discussing today as part of Summer Fun, Andrew, you really want to talk about Step Up 3D. Yes, I do. Do you want did. to even dive into that, <laughs> or do you want me to give a, a brief intro? Because I can give an intro to the film, at least what I think it's about. That may be more amusing than hearing me passionately go off about it, so why don't you hit me with your theory? Okay, so... Step Up 3D is a film directed by John M. Chu, and it is the third in a, I guess, apparently a really lengthy dance <laughs> series, and it follows two friends from New York, you know, going to university for the first time, and one of the characters, Moose, has to give up his love of dance, become a straight and narrow engineer until he finds the underground world of dance in New York, and it basically turns into Tokyo Drift, possibly, <laughs> That's just my initial theory, but my wife was watching with me and she said that, oh, it's it's like Fight Club with dancing. So either way, he finds the underground world and has to rise up to the top ranks to beat the one guy that he annoyed, but he's not really the central character, neither is Moose. Let's talk about Step Up 3D. <laughs> well, um, I love it. I have watched it not as many times as Magic Mike XXL, but in terms of my personal relationship with the Step Up franchise, Step Up 3D helped clean me out of some snobbery because I watched it on the same day I watched the other guys, and then... It speaks to how bland the Oscar Beatty thing was, because I, I remember I liked it. It had, I think, a Julianne Moore and Annette Benning, and they were mothers, and Mark Ruffalo shows up. Oh, um, the kids are all right? The kids are all right, thank you. Of those three movies, it's ended up being Step Up 3D that has stuck with me the longest, as obviously, with oh. my previous grasping... Uh, the kids are all right. It didn't. Sometimes I just want to see some robots dancing, and I don't want to see kind of generic -y, if overall okay, Oscar Beatty stuff. But Step Up 3D, it used to be the movie that I kind of had as my trump card for folks before uh, Magic Mike XXL came along. I don't think it's anywhere near as good as Magic Mike XXL, but it's a lot of good-natured fun, and it's weird. Like, when I was sitting down to actually write my review of Step Up 3D, and I had to describe the dance sequences at some point, you have the pirates, which is a awesome multi-ethnic crew, battling in a basement against coal miners who are mining apparently chalk, and the pirates mount their comeback thanks to their robot friend. Now, there are obviously some uh, slight exaggerations there, but the only exaggeration that would be slight would be the robot friend. He is human. He's just exceptionally good at doing the robot. Step Up 3D isn't super duper deep in any sense of the word, but it's so sincere and the dancing is so spectacular, and the setting is so weird at times, that it works a wonderful alchemy on me. And I heard you muttering under your breath a couple of times there. So uh, so what did you think? 
I was torn on this because part of me hated that you made me watch this movie. Um, <laughs> just because the dialogue in a lot of it is atrocious and the acting by a good portion of the actors is bad. I absolutely loved Moose and thought he was endlessly charming and kind of wished that the film had focused around him like it teased it was going to at the very beginning. And I also had issues in how it was incorporating diversity. Having said that, I also hate you because by the end of it, this film had won me over. <laughs> and as silly as the story is, I found the dance numbers as outlandish as they were, was endlessly charming. When you can incorporate a whimsical singing in the rain style, I guess it seemed like it was done in all in one take and have that be like, quote unquote, the centerpiece. But that's for me, that still wasn't even the most interesting of the dance numbers on that level. It works wonders. And by the end of it, I was I was contemplating whether I should go on Netflix and catch up on the other step up ones just to see how this i guess franchise and how this character of moose evolves through the various ones because i remember seeing the first one with chan and Tatum, but other than that i've avoided this franchise so i was really conflicted but i there was a lot of things in it that bugged me and we can dive into that in a, in a few moments well here's where i get to shine a unusually geeky side of myself the step up franchise was much better at establishing a shared universe than Marvel, and it did it first, which is amazing. My official ranking goes Step Up 3, Step Up All In, Step Up to the Streets, Step Up Revolution, and then Step Up. I also love that the Step Up franchise shares the Fast and Furious franchise naming conventions of screwing naming conventions after the second or third movie. As you're rattling off these things, and I'm shaking my head going, I can't believe they've made all these movies. For a brief moment, I kind of understand how people feel when I start talking about the Fast and the Furious franchise. <laughs> that, <laughs> that weird look that I get when they're like, no, it's not that. What are you talking about? I, I now kind of understand what they're doing because I sit here and go, I, I can't believe they've made this many movies off of essentially just outlandish dance numbers because there's there's I don't know I don't you you could attest to maybe the the storylines and the plots and the other ones but there were certain things in this one that I was like if they keep repeating this for what six movies and I think they're making a seventh one now it would drive me mad the sixth movie is apparently going to be made in China for a Chinese market specifically so I am super excited to see that with regards to the step up in reverse. I guess is going to be the best way of putting it. The step up in verse. Moose is a central figure for the second and third step up movies, though I, I agree that the uh, the blander folks end up taking the lead more than Moose in step up three. He has a cameo in step up four, which is step up revolution. And then the fifth one, step up all in, is a lot more Moose centric. He actually gets to play in one dance number, a mad scientist bringing a Frankenstein-like creature back from the dead using dance. I don't know if that makes you more or less excited to watch the rest. It kind of, it kind of does. <laughs> this is what I can't stand for this franchise. Like I, you basically just told me a dance number is going to bring a Frankenstein monster back to life. And I'm like, I, I want to see that. I'm thinking back to the finale of this one with like the whole crazy light suits and the different things. And I'm like, well, to me, that would be the next evolution, bringing back a dead corpse <laughs> through dance. 
they try and do stuff that's a little more directly political and revolution, and it fails miserably, even if the dance numbers are kind of cool. And I think one of the things that keeps Step Up 3, I still love it, but the blandness of the leads, uh, Luke and Natalie, played to the best of their capabilities, and the script um, by Rick Malambri and Sharni Vincent. Their interlude when they go train, basically when uh, Natalie joins up with the pirates early on. I watch a lot of modern-ish dance movies. I actually did a whole series of them on Can't Stop the Movies. And I'm kind of glad that for Step Up 3, they toned down the um, Whitey McEvil, Whitey McWhite evils a lot bad guy in this case because in the original you got served the dude had like frosted tips and super exaggerated mannerisms everywhere so i appreciate that subtle is maybe too strong a word but we are using subtle in contrast to other movies but luke and natalie when they go on their parkour run i hate it when parkour gets mixed in with these dance movies because it ends up making it a lot more violent even if it's unintentionally so because you know you're going on concrete everywhere instead of working with multiple partners. On that note, also, um, the second You Got Served movie is not worth watching because it's parkour-centric. Courtney, I don't know if this is a well of knowledge you expected me to be able to dive into at all. It's good because you touched on something that or two things that was really part of my main problems with the film. One was the two leads, uh, Luke and Natalie. As you said, they they are very bland. And the minute I realized that Luke was actually the person that we were supposed to be following, I immediately started to lose interest whenever he was on screen and moping about his, you know, <laughs> I want to be a filmmaker, but I got to save my family's studio and how are we going to do it? And it reminded me a lot of, in, in the 90s, it was that period where you had, like, Ski School and Ski Patrol and, like, those cheesy wannabe Animal House-style comedies that tailored in cheesy humor and a bit of TNA. And there was always something that needed to be saved. It was either, like, the ski resort or whatever studio. And, and that's what their sequences reminded me of. And also, when this film starts, the central conflict is that Moose accidentally upstages one of the key dancers at the House of Samurai, I guess the rival dance group to the pirates, this guy by the name of Kid Darkness, right? And, and again, this is where I got the Tokyo Drift vibe early on, because it's like, oh, you've stepped on this guy's turf, you've embarrassed him, this dude is a really bad dude. Halfway through the film, you realize he's a henchman that doesn't even have any lines. Like, the, the main villain is Julian, and yeah, he doesn't have the frosted tips, but he's even blander than the leads. <laughs> And when they explained that, you know, Luke and Julian used to be in the same crew and friends, and then they divided over Julian possibly throwing a competition, there's certain things that unfold and certain quote-unquote twists that I went, well, if they were so tight, how did Luke not know about this thing, which is key central to the twist? Like, that does not seem plausible. I understand I'm not supposed to be giving this film any thought because this is oh, a... no. I, I, th I do... And that's one of the things. I, I think that the creativity of the dances and then the weirdness on display is worth a lot of thought. And the best thing that I can say about Luke both as he's written and as he is acted, is that he's very thick, because he couldn't tell when Julian was about to betray him, and he couldn't figure out that Natalie was Julian's sister. And by focusing on Luke and Julian and Natalie, it brings me to my second point with the diversity, because it's a very diverse crew, but I felt like 
diversity was used more as a form of entertainment, if you will. It's like, hey, we've got all this multicultural cast and we need some comic relief. Let's go to the multicultural cast. We need some cool dance moves and athleticism. Let's go to the multicultural cast. But when it came to any like substance, it was back to the standard Luke and Natalie, which I could have seen in like any other film, right? So part of me wishes that we had the caliber of actors in the second film that we're going to see and like the diversity in that coupled with the amazing dance sequences in this film. I would love to start a franchise with those two worlds kind of merging. I don't know if it was possible. <laughs> but if, if I ran a studio, that's the type of dance movie I would be making. Well, I would like to say that those issues get better with any other iteration of the series. But one of the reasons I hate Step Up and put it at the bottom of my list is because of how much it thoroughly traffics in harmful stereotypes and does absolutely nothing with them. And it's before Channing Tatum really hit his stride with his charm and his performances, so... There's not much to speak about there. As far as development, it's going to be kind of the same with the other Step Up movies, but I can let you know that in the fifth one, Step Up All In, the robot dancer meets possibly future Mrs. Robot Dancer, and they have a really awesome silent flirtation throughout the movie. Something else to maybe prime your pump on the rest of the Step Up movies. But yeah, anything else would have been more interesting than Luke and Natalie. Even Moose and Cam. Moose, in this case, played by Adam G. Savani, who has been in the Step Up movies since the second one on, and Allison Stoner as Cam, who was kind of in the first one and has made an appearance here and there before being at least one of the central figures here. But, like, I, w- I do wish it just stuck with Moose and Cam, because then we wouldn't have had the lead middle section where everything gets super dour and super down even over the top way it gets down like luke ends up meeting with one of the people who uh marcos i think marcos or carlos he's betrayed them and they meet in a dark alleyway with the dude who's betrayed them in like this fedora and this intense lighting in the background no matter how over the top that is we still have the lead weight that is Luke carrying everything around. Now, I think he could only perform and do the character as written, and Luke and Natalie kind of put it aside. That said, I really like Sharni Vinson's melodramatic soap opera acting in this. She convinces me when she's sad or when she's happy. She really buys into the sincerity and doesn't stay distanced from it. And one of my favorite little touches with her performance is that when she sends that note to Luke at the end, Luke still imagines her voice as that breathy, extremely emotional wanting, even though it's a note and it's a voiceover. (laughs) So I get that. There are issues with the way that it uses representation, and if we had stuck with Moose and Cam, we probably would have had a much better movie, but there's still lots to love. So what did you love? What won you over and earned me your hate? Everything from like when Moose is first on the campus and interrupts that... I don't even know what to call it. Like it, it seemed like it was a frosh week kind of carnival when they just broke out into this random dance competition. But when he was like bouncing off the tables and they're doing the bubble effects to show they, that it's going to be in 3D. Pretty much any time Moose was on screen dancing was great. And then even there's long stretches where he's just kind of not there. 
and they had the other dancers take over, be it Robot Guy or um, the Twins or the trio known as the Ticks. And like when they were doing that water number when Moose came and accidentally interrupted the competition, it's fantastic. The dance numbers are charming, and I would say that Moose and like the supporting people are enjoyable enough that I could sit back and at least enjoy it on a mindless level. It's just when the lead started popping up again, I went, oh, all right. Brain clicks back on, and the list of things I <laughs> dislike about this movie is going on. And even looking at the poster for all the other ones, all the posters look like they're just replicating the same Luke and Natalie kind of leads, which makes me a little leery about going into them. But but again, the dance numbers are phenomenal. Like I don't know how they choreographed it. I think there was like four or five choreographers listed in this thing. But I kept thinking, like, how long did it take for these actors to? practice the numbers because each dance sequence has at least six intricate moves and shifts and like the timing has to be note perfect right and they they nail it they make it interesting even when outlandish stuff is happening in the dance sequences it still works that outlandishness along with the goofy sense of humor and a lot of the dance scenes it is mostly present with moose and it is Beautiful. I love it when Moose uh, in, is introduced to the pirate crew and they go into the club and Moose is p- being stalked by a member of the House of the Samurai. And the House of the Samurai is doing a very poor job of living up to his name because he is more like a ninja in those scenes because he literally crawls up the ceiling when Moose suspects that he's being followed. And just the utter absurdity of the house samurai member who comes in and he's dressed in speakers basically. (laughs) Um, Mm. And so we end up getting this kind of weird warriors hybrid with candy colored dance sequences. When the samurai who Moose bested earlier demands a rematch in this bathroom right now. And Moose's inventiveness There is another solid point, because I love that when he's using the sinks to kind of hop on his arms only, he takes a little uh, soapy water and flings it at Speaker Guy's eyes so that he can get away. I'm like, yeah, you go, Moose. You understand your surroundings so much better than everyone else. And then there is some goofy fun with Luke, but it's literally one scene. It's when uh, Luke and Natalie are exploring the city, not hopping around it via parkour, but exploring it. And they get Slurpees that they let drift into this air vent. And in my mind, I'm also thinking, hey, that stuff's got to come down on someone's head eventually. But it's it's a silly, sweet little moment. It just it lacks the oomph of samurai actually ninja dancer stalking moose with a guy who dressed entirely with speakers waiting in the wings yeah this is definitely we need to throw in a lot of 3d um, stuff and there's times where the film <laughs> literally stops like in that moment just so that you can have the 3d moment with the slurpee that even my wife was like isn't that gonna like get all stuck on their clothes and it's like no no it's a movie you gotta block that all out but this brings up another thing that annoyed me about this movie so luke has the honor, privilege, whatever you want to, to have those moments with Natalie, those quiet moments. Whenever Luke is in need, he's calling on Moose. He doesn't care what Moose is doing. Moose could be writing a university exam, you know, for engineering. And literally is. And literally is. Forget that. We need you. He might be like, oh, I actually have a, a date with Camille. I promised her, you know, we've been friends forever. Too bad. I need you. He's constantly dropping what he has to do for Luke. But at no point does Luke ever question or inquire what's going on in Moose's life. 
Moose is just a tool for him to get to this big battle. And half of the time, we don't even see Moose in the quote-unquote training or what have you. So, again, that's another thing that annoyed me about Luke. He was just, I don't know, when, when Carlos betrayed him, I, I didn't really feel that upset for Carlos. You know, I wasn't like, oh, damn you, Carlos. I'm like, yeah, Carlos, you know, Luke is a bit of a jerk. I can see why you'd want to leave. So I guess kind of assuage any fears you might have. This is the only movie with Luke and Natalie. They are gone after this. To their benefit, I think that the other returning folks, Moose included, are much better used in All In, um, in the Step Up universe. But anyway, in terms of Luke's jerkishness, I actually like the uh, running jokes throughout the movie that there are people living their lives while these folks are dance competitioning themselves from start to finish. When Moose and Cam have that great single take, old and new dance sequence, and Moose grabs someone's scooter and right up screen you hear, Hey, that's my scooter! (laughs) You dented it! Everything in these dance movies is about self-centered folks, but I like that it acknowledged that kind of self-centeredness with the off-screen commentary at times. And yeah, it's hard to fault Carlos for betraying Luke, and it's not even much of a betrayal because they had already broken up at that point. So it's kind of like, yeah, you guys are done, and uh, this is just a friendly heads up totally not a bad guy in this situation and then of course luke goes back to moping but hey they all get it together for that final dance sequence how often can we say that a dance movie mixes led spectacular awesomeness with outcast and the chanting and fist pumping of baraka that is true and they throw in some cute little kids that can dance like crazy just for good measures you know if they haven't won you over with all that other stuff We'll, we'll throw you in with some Missy Elliott-style kids doing crazy dancing. But I will say, though, that the soundtrack for this film is, is phenomenal. Isn't it great? I, <laughs> it was, really is. I was tapping. Even when they were playing, like, uh, Commons Driving Me Wild in the, in the end credits, like, oh, man, I haven't heard that song in years. Went on iTunes, was like, yeah, purchase that song. And I was looking at the soundtrack, I'm like, I don't want to buy this soundtrack. <laughs> but the music is so good. I do share, of course, your reservations. I would say that if you only watch one other Step Up movie, make it Step Up All In, at least until the Chinese edition of the Step Up franchise comes out. But just personal favorite, before we move on to your slightly better made and better acted dance movie. During the final dance sequence, as awesome as that LED light stuff is my favorite part is when the girls of the pirate crew get their own moment because their movements are so smooth and then you get that cocky as heck walk from one of the girls using the other girls as support and they're slinking like into and out from each other before the twins get their time to shine to outcast ghetto music that's probably my favorite little dance moment in all of this except for the robot because the robot seriously you want to dance off with a robot when you're fighting coal miners in a basement that's just awesome so you're saying, once again, technology is hurting the coal industry? <laughs> Maybe this film is deeper than we thought, people. <laughs> Maybe it's deeper oh. than we thought. Wow. See, that's why yeah. you can't turn your brain off when you're watching these movies. Otherwise, you'd miss zingers like that. That's, uh, that's my one, one good one for the year. <laughs> well, I, I'm not going to have nearly as many reservations going into your movie as you did with mine because i actually watched and reviewed 
take the lead as part of my modern dance series on Can't Stop the Movies. And it does make me sad that these kind of dance movies aren't coming out nearly as often as they were for a bit. But take the lead, Courtney's pick, which is an interesting pick because you said that you had not seen this, if I remember correctly. It's my first time watching it. Okay. And Take the Lead is one of those kind of based-on-a-true-story movies about uh, Pierre Dulaine, who was also part of the documentary Mad Hot Ballroom, about Pierre, played improbably by Antonio Banderas. Banderas, of course, can be a bit iffy in terms of his quality control, both in his performances and the surrounding movie, but I thought he did really great with this one, um, even if it was a man named Banderas playing a man named Pierre. One of the few suspensions of disbelief I had to have for this one. Pierre decides to uh, volunteer for a school because, in his mind, it's the right thing to do. After he witnesses a uh, high schooler vandalizing the principal's car, and he hopes to bring his love of dance, classical dance specifically, like the uh, foxtrot and the tango, into the detention hall and maybe turn some lives around and generate some smiles in the process. This being a blind watch for you, Courtney, why this? <laughs> well, when I was thinking of movies to, to pair with the summer finally, again, originally I was thinking of maybe doing Tokyo Drift, but I hadn't watched Step Up 3D at the time, so I thought that might be too far of a contrast. Clearly I was wrong, but... <laughs> <laughs> When I was just kind of trying to think of a film to do, I was perusing my DVD shelf, and my wife has, she's not a big film person, but she has an interesting collection of movies, some of which are hers that she loves. Like, I don't know, we've got, like, I think, five or six copies of Dirty Dancing in the house, and Dirty Dancing Havana Nights, because she's a completist for that series. You know, she'll have, like, the good stuff, like Princess Bride, what have you. But then she'll have movies that were donated to her by friends. And, you know, people were moving, and they just kind of gave her stuff. So she'll have things like RV or um, Beautiful with Mini Driver. Like, just some really questionable stuff. So I saw this one. It was on the shelf. So I was looking at it. I'm like, all right, it's a dance movie, and Antonio Banderas is in the lead, directed by a woman. All right, this might be a good film to talk about. And... When I pulled it out and I said, oh, I'm going to watch this after Step of 3D, my wife went, oh, that movie's terrible. And I went, oh, okay. So I did a quick search on Rotten Tomatoes, which I rarely do, but I just wanted to see how it was ranked, right, and how Step Up 3D were ranked. And they were both, like, at 44% on Rotten Tomatoes. It was, like, almost identical ratings. And I went, you know what? This is the perfect movie. <laughs> uh, you know, if they're both equally getting the same type of critiques about it being formulaic and what have you. So I popped it in, and as my wife was sitting watching this, she went, oh, wait a minute. No, I actually like this one. I was thinking of a different <laughs> movie. That was, I was like, okay. So, yeah, it was a new experience for me. And, again, it was a blind pick. I went in. It's like the other half of Step Up 3D, where it's a fine movie. It's, again, just like Step Up, very predictable. But the acting, I thought, was far better in this one. I wish that the dancing was a little more exciting. Um, the dancing in it is nice. like it, it works for what it is. But after seeing the fun energy in Step Up 3D, I kind of wish that this film had that. And I also didn't realize it was based on a true story as well. So it was an interesting experience. I ultimately enjoyed the film. And when Brenders said that you know his name was Pierre Delaine, I went, that doesn't sound like a Spanish name. But hey, I'm willing to go with it. And then when I looked up the guy afterwards, I was like, wow, that is really out-of-the-box casting, but it was an interesting idea, and I think what Delane achieved is worthy of the cinematic treatment. At the same time, 
this film relies heavily on like the to serve with love dangerous mind style trope of the teacher going into the inner city and just i wish that freelander had brought a little something different in that regards what your wife went through both before and and when you started watching the movie that's always been a, a interesting phenomenon for me and these kind of like poppy dancey fun movies is that they're remembered worse than they actually are and i know you said that your wife was thinking of another movie but still there's something about take the lead that reminded her of this other movie that was worse and i admit going through dance movies it is hard to find the good ones but it's another thing that makes me wish that folks would take these kind of movies a little more seriously, because your criticisms about Step Up 3, I mean, they do extend through the franchise, and they're spot on. I mean, I, I don't disagree with them at all. And the same thing with Take the Lead. At the core of both of them, formulaic or predictable though they may be, they're just solidly made movies. Like, Step Up 3 has, of course, the, the physicality and the flash, but Take the Lead, it's really well shot. It's a good-looking movie. There's one part when uh, Banderas's Pierre is uh, comforting Rock, played by Rob Brown. Rock raises some good points, and in fact, a lot of the students raise good points about this guy coming in hoping to brighten their lives by teaching them dance. Rock tells Pierre, you can't assume so much about my life. Now, I think part of the problem, and you touched on that in the fact that Take the Lead goes into the formula and that, yes, Rock does have problems. But there's that gorgeous shot of Banderas initially kind of having a moral high ground framed above Rock. And then when Rock rightly criticizes Pierre, the camera switches to Rock's level. He's a lot taller in the frame and Pierre is tiny and smooshed against the chain link fence in the background. If you were only watching it without sound, you would get the transfer of their relationship there. So th there's a a lot of moments like that in Take the Lead, where there is, you know, subtle filmmaking or uh, subtle changes in the relationships that are actually expressed visually instead of through dance. It's not really what I want from a dance movie. I would prefer all those changes be uh, signified in dance. It's still extremely well made. To your point about the moral high ground, this film does have a lot to say about classism and especially classism being played out in the education system which i thought was interesting it was weird because it's an interesting point and as you know as we see them of course going to the competition and the elitists questioning why they're even getting trained when they are not worthy of being on the same dance floor but with the alfrey wooder as the principal and john ortiz as one of the teachers also another call out to uh fast in the the Furious franchise right there. <laughs> Just saying. Their roles are very interesting because at the beginning, Ortiz is the teacher that we got to do something with these kids. And Woodward's pretty much, uh, they're no hope. And then out of nowhere, or at least it's seemingly out of nowhere, Woodward's character, Augustine James, she all of a sudden becomes like a champion for these kids and we need to help these kids. And Ortiz becomes the, I don't like this guy coming into our school and trying to teach these kids who have no future. That shift didn't quite work for me. We get that PTA moment, but before that, Woodward has already been on Banderas' side and outside of the second interaction with him, which didn't really give off much. I just found it weird that those two teachers would have such a drastic shift. So I don't know if something got lost in the editing there. 
I agree with you. The storytelling actually in the detention room, as they're learning to dance and stuff, that's the best stuff in the movie. And the class issues, too, are most clearly communicated. Banderas is Pierre. I might as well stick with a good thing while I got it going catches the student's attention completely when he has Morgan, uh, played by uh, Katya Vershalas, come in and perform a tango with them and bowl the students over with how sexy and strong the dancing can be. Morgan is there because, well, Pierre is her boss, and she is so dismissively snotty to Sasha, who's played by Jenna Dewan, as she's leaving. Because Sasha comes over and says, you know, that was amazing. I've never seen anybody move like that. And Morgan's just like, I'm sure. And that's a cool little through line that does get some conversational and storyline play. But then you have stuff that is just kind of brought up and then never brought up again. One of the students says that you're dancing these tangos and these foxtrots and stuff. These are dances that originated with slave owners and horrible people. And it's kind of one of those things where I wish they didn't raise the point to begin it with if they weren't really going to do much with it. But it does show that Take the Lead has a bit more going on under the hood than you might suspect. The whole subplot with Caitlin and her, um, was it the cotillion that she was preparing for? Yes. Uh, she didn't want. And for those who be familiar, uh, the actress that plays Caitlin, Lauren Collins, she's a um, Canadian actress, but she's also probably most well-known for being on Degrassi, the next generation, or one of the new Degrassi episodes. Because when she popped on the screen, I was like, where do I know her from? Like, ah, Degrassi. Side note, anyway. I found like that also I wish kind of got played out a little more because it's the whole, she's slumming it because she needs extra practice, but then she actually feels more at home with these students. And it's one of the bigger students whose name I can't remember well, right now. it's because he's unfortunately named. He is uh, named Monster. Monster, yes. So when Monster ends up being like the Knight in China Armor, and they kind of hint that there's at least a deep friendship, because I don't know if, if it's going to be a full-fledged relationship between the two, but he offers to be her partner, for this event, and she basically says they wouldn't understand you being there. Basically, you as a black man, they wouldn't understand you there in this world. But he still shows up to save the day, and then it's kind of like they quickly exit that moment. You never get the full grasp. So they get, there's a few moments where people are like, oh, what is what is that? And then that's it. I was like, well, I feel like you were hinting at something deeper, but you really rushed through that. No, completely agreed. I, I do like the way that the guy who plays Monster, uh, Brandon D. Andrews, takes the opportunity to own the scene because he thrusts himself into the frame, grabs Caitlin's bouquet, and shoves it in another dude's chest before they dance their dance. So while I have issues with how Monster, including his name, is written and generally presented, I can't fault Brandon D. Andrews. He does a great job taking control of the scene there. I'm kind of sad because we're we're getting away from the dancing and going towards the nuance. Because I do still think that Take the Lead is, is maybe a, a better conventional movie. But aside from the big dance-off at the end, and then the kind of attention-grabbing scene with Morgan, there's a lot more non-dance-related drama that at least plays out better. I do really like that Rock and Larette, played by Yaya da Costa, have like a reverse Romeo and Juliet thing going on, where their families are already linked by tragedy 
um, even if neither one gets the full scope of it before starting their own little flirtation as Pierre starts teaching them how to dance. And while we're on the subject of kind of unconventional romances, I also, it could have been really awkward, but I do like how Sasha and the love triangle she's in with uh, Danju and Ramos gets resolved with the, the respective parties realizing where their talents are and then coming together for that tango trio at the very end, which is probably my favorite dance number in all this because it's unexpected and they all float really well together before Morgan gets on her high horse and says, no, it's a tie. I wish there was a, a little more awesome dancing like that, but it's built into the characters extremely well, and it at least is entertaining and inventive enough, even if there's you know not much of it. I think the, the tango is by far the best dance number. The final ballroom dance, the waltz, I guess, between Rock and Lorette is nice because they have that, they're so into each other in that moment that the entire room basically vanishes. You know, that was a nice little touch, obvious, but still a nice little touch. But a lot of the dancing in this film revolves around them learning. At the same time, when you see the professionals kind of coming in and they're practicing as well, the, pro the professionals aren't that interesting, even though the waltz and the foxtrot and all these things are supposed to be elegant in terms of movement. I found the professionals to be rather bland. Yeah, I agree. And maybe maybe it's just the way how it's shot. Maybe that could be it, because I, I know there's competitions every year all over the world. There are ways to make it exciting and bring out the passion and the elegance, whereas I find in this film, because they're just generic extras that can dance, it doesn't really hit that note. And I mean, some of the practice sequences are fun, I guess, in terms of seeing how the characters interact, but... And I like the fact that they show diverse body types. Um, as we, we mentioned, Monster... Um, the other girl who's unfortunately named Big Girl, which the names for some of these characters are horrendous, but at least they show different body types and they each give them their own moment. And I thought that was great too, because even when you watch something like Step Up, as diverse as everyone is, they're still fairly fit, say 90% all like really good looking, attractive dancers, right? So, yeah. whereas here you get a bit more realistic in terms of body types, different looks, and it all works. Everyone still feels on the same level. And I guess the trade-off is you have more known actors or better actors, like Chan Tatum's wife, as you said, is Sasha, and Ramos was the dude from Hook. Egypt was from Fringe. Like I'm seeing all these people that have gone on to do other things or have come from other places, right? Whereas watching Step Up, because they're predominantly dancers, you know, it's that trade-off. Like I don't know if there's a perfect balance. I guess Chanum Tatum and probably the equivalent of like the perfect balance that you need, someone that can dance but also is Bring charismatic enough. Chops, yeah. yeah, and there's, there's only one of him. That's true, but there's also only one Banderas, and I, I do want to talk about his performance a bit here, because Banderas is a uneven actor. I think that's fair to say, if you would like to voice an objection, now's the time to do so. I'm going to, but I need to just review his canon, because <laughs> my mind has him being great in almost everything, and I'm going to... Stick with that, even though he has a couple of really bad Spy Kids movies in there. He also has Ballistic X versus Sever. <laughs> okay, but he does have Almodovar's The Skin I Live In. I'm not a big fan of that one. I'd love Almodovar, but that one, uh, there's there's some iffy moral politics there. But we're getting away from Banderas <laughs> in this one. I love how charmingly passive-aggressive he is. Uh, passive aggression is something I 
have no tolerance for in my real life. If there is beef, I want someone to hash it out. If someone has a complaint, I want them to say it. I don't take inaction very well. But Banderas hits that perfect note of just aware enough of his privilege and his station in being able to teach these kids, but also delighting in a charming way of how much he's able to get away with with the kids. Like, I love in one of the early detention hall moments when he comes in with his music. It's not the kids' music, it's his music. He tells them all, you know, okay, everyone line up, and they refuse to. And he's like, okay, so we're just going to listen to my music until everyone lines up. And he just blares it. And Banderas is like the perfect picture of serene happiness with just enough awareness of his world that he is delighting in how much it's annoying all of the kids. And I love the way that he gets this little like yes in his face while still having his eyes closed when one of the kids comes up to say all right we'll dance and he goes what because the music is too loud even though he clearly heard the kid Banderas is uneven for me but uh, i love him in this and, and really without someone like Banderas playing a dude named pierre this probably wouldn't work nearly as well even if someone like channing tatum who maybe shares pierre's body type a little more was in the lead that's just one of, I think, one of his underrated performances, probably because he's so restrained in a lot of it. Like, even when they have that bridging moment where he realizes that he could use his music and they can use their music and have two beats going at the same time. And he gets that weird mad scientist look in his eyes, but he's still very much restrained in his excitement. And we know it's, that's going to come into play later, even though it doesn't really come when we expect it to. Because once you hit the competition, it's like, no, everything is still very standard. And how they have to force that way in was questionable. But he is very good. And I, I liked his moments with Ortiz when, especially at the PTA moment where he's very calm, but saying, this is a problem. We have teachers that are actively sabotaging these kids just because the teachers no longer have the imagination. They can't see the kids outside of what's in front of their face. And he does a really good job in this. The performances all around, I thought, were solid for what they're given with the script. And that's what's weird when we start talking about like what's good and what isn't, because Step Up's dialogue, it does exactly what it's quote-unquote supposed to do. Like, if it was distractingly dramatic, I don't think that it would be nearly as good as it is, even with the problems that it has, versus here, where it goes back to that trade-off that you were saying. There is one other thing I wanted to mention, and that is the running joke about Pierre's acceptance of his students. I love that he will not question how they got anything ever. That could be a little problematic, I think, in terms of the stereotyping that is going on in parts of Take the Lead. But I love that Banderas just plays it as kind of like a fact of life and that, hey, they're rolling with this. Since they're rolling with it, I'm going to roll with them. So it's, it's one of those things that it could have been a bit more troubling. Like, I don't imagine Step Up being able to pull off something like that at all. But it works here. One thing I actually really liked about it is they literally have a wall of boomboxes. And a wall of and, shoes. <laughs> and a wall of shoes. But it looks like only one of the boomboxes is used in that entire wall. And the shoes that I guess you have to earn, I guess there's like your car, they're your NOS, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> but they're really called upon. It's like they've got this wall of shoes, but the shoes aren't really the focal point 
at any point in the movie until like the very end. But hey, to each their own. They all have their pros and cons. And when you talk about him being accepting and how that's problematic, I think, well, the way how the dialogue flows in, in this movie, I was willing to buy that he'd be willing to turn a blind eye because he literally saw vandalism right in front of him. And he sees it as an opportunity for learning opposed to calling the cops, what have you. It's funny because the type of film that it is, take the lead, can sell a, a line. Like when Caitlin was watching the professional tango, I think it was Monica and some other person in her class. And she's like, it's like sex on hardwood. And Banderas is like, wait a minute. This is how that, I can reach the kids. <laughs> this is how I can reach the kids through sex. They would understand the power of dance, right? And But that would have been cheesy in Step Up 3D, but it, it works here. Whereas in Step Up 3D, they could sell a line like saying, you know, he was B-Fab, born from a boombox. And you're like, oh, I get it. <laughs> yes, he was born from a boombox. He was born to dance. <laughs> you know, it's so like, in their, their various worlds, there's certain things that I was willing to let slide. I hope that more people give stuff like this a chance on a critical wavelength because like you said both of these were roughly reviewed the same way you know shallow formulaic whatever but they're great they're a lot of fun to watch for very different reasons even though they both center around dance and even though this podcast is about overlooked and underappreciated movies both of these were box office successes in the case of step up obviously it was extremely successful but they're not really given any respect because they're just dance movies. Even though Step Up 3 has this bizarre creativity amid amazing physicality, and then Take the Lead has the wonderful Banderas performance amid a lot of humor and great quiet moments. So, I guess for the critical types listening, ease up on this stuff. It's great. Give it a whirl. Give it a shot, and who knows, maybe you'll end up sharing the same hatred for me that Courtney does now. Hatred while I dance away. That's that's the type of uh, <laughs> hatred it is. So, Andrew, where can folks find you? Well, uh, you can reach me on Twitter at Can't Stop Drew. I also monitor the Gmail account, which is changing.reels.ac at gmail.com. If you're a fan of my editing for this podcast or I guess really the production period and want to see it going. I also have a Patreon for Can't Stop the Movies. Um, so you'd be helping out if you give to that there. In addition to some specific projects, I'm starting as Patreon only exclusives, uh, including a episode by episode look into 13 reasons why. So please look forward to that and please consider donating both to myself and the Modern Superior page as well. Courtney, how about yourself? They can reach me. I handle the Changing Reels Twitter account, so that's at Changing Reels AC. And you can also catch me at Small Mind on Twitter. And yeah, I think that's about it. I don't have anything quite on the go in the coming weeks, but I'm sure there'll be there'll be stuff. It's it's that weird period where there's a bunch of summer movies that I want to catch up on, but I'm also kind of taking a little easy before the whole TIFF fall festival season ramps up. It's always something, isn't it? It's the lonely, stressful life of a film critic. Well, and it's wonderful. It is. It really is. I love doing this. And uh, folks, obviously, we want to hear from you. Even if you hate what we're doing, it'd be great if you love what we're doing. But, hey, we're always willing to learn and grow, much like the kids in Take the Leads classrooms or the bland leads of Step Up. Yes, let us know if we are B-Fab or <laughs> if we're just misguided youth who need to waltz in a different direction. On that note, for Changing Reels, I'm Andrew Hathaway. 
And I'm Courtney Small. And we'll see you next time. This has been a presentation of the Modern Superior Media Network. 